Welcome back to Literacy Lunch Break. I'm your host, Marjorie Botari, and we are lucky enough to have Cheryl Allison back as a guest. In this episode, she is going to share the process of writing decodable text and share the other characteristics that are required to create high quality decodable text. Stick around after the show and we will share where you can read and purchase some of Cheryl's decodable books. Thank you so much for returning, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Um, I, I really enjoyed my talks with you and um, yeah, I'm glad to be back. So Cheryl, to dive right in, how would you define decodable text? Decodable text are uh, text in which all the words are made up of known sound spellings or are taught high frequency words. Um, there can be certain story words or topic words that are necessary to the story that are pre-taught. Um, but the majority of the words are made up of known sound spellings or are high frequency words. And um, they target specific sound spellings for the week or unit and uh, high frequency words as well. Yeah, and it really allows students, I think, when we think about that, I love the way you talked about, you know, the targeted skills that they have been taught, and we know the importance of following a scope and sequence, but really as we think about decodable text, it's that application piece that's absolutely critical. Otherwise, when we're teaching phonemic awareness and phonics, if we're not giving decodable text, really for our students, it's just kind of like, okay, you're teaching me this stuff, but I don't really know what to do with it. I... <laughs> Right. right. You've got to you've got to move from that um, word reading fluency into um, reading fluency and reading um, authentic text. Yeah, I think that's really important. As we shared in the last episode, it's not an easy task, right? We know how important writing decodable texts are, but we talked about sometimes you have those decodable texts. They, they're not really comprehensible. They don't make a whole lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And while that may be okay, sometimes for some students, we don't only want students accessing text that don't really you know, make much sense. So right. do you mind just sharing what it's like when you sit down and you decide, okay, I'm going to write this text. What, what are some <laughs> of the things you go? Sounds easy. I know it's not. <laughs> it's funny because the, the really short ones when you're writing for, uh, you know, beginning uh, yes. the year KN1, the really, really short ones take so much longer <laughs> because I mean, even if I'm, I'm working with limited words, I want to, it to, I want to get the best story possible. So right. sometimes I'll write, six or seven variations because, you know, it, it needs to be interesting. And, and I keep, I know I keep coming back to it, but it's got to make sense. Right. Um, so, I mean, one of the first things, you know, of course is, is, you know, what skills do children know? I keep a running list from week to week to week of all of the high frequency words, all of the sound spellings that they know. Um, and the different um, word parts and flexional endings. And I, I have a word list. And of course, you know, there's a, a target list of sound spellings and high frequency words. And I take those first and it really is like doing a puzzle. And the process is a lot like that because I actually write them on cards and I move them around and then I develop them into phrases 
And then that's kind of when the story comes together, when the phrases are coming together. Um, so, I mean, yeah. And then I take it from there. And, and once I've gotten past that point where I have some working phrases and I'm really hitting all of those target skills, um, it kind of comes along uh, after that. I, I love that. You know, I have to say, I've never thought of doing that and it makes a whole lot of sense, right? So as you were talking, I'm just thinking in my head, yes, what do we know about decodable text? It needs to follow a scope and sequence, right? And you oh, are talking about ensuring that when you are putting a text in front of a young reader, really making sure that you have taught them the skills mm-hmm. that they need to be, or to, the skills they need to know to be successful, decoding those words. So they don't end up relying on things like guessing. Right. Um, right. And I love that you brought in that high frequency words as well, because we know we need those if the sentence or the story is going to be comprehensible. So as you take those cards, I love it. Like just kind of playing around, mm-hmm. trying to find some phrases. Is that then how your the content of the book is then developed first, just trying to come up with phrases and then you create the story? Uh, sometimes, um, I mean, you know, it depends if, if yeah. we're doing a phonics foundational program or if we're doing a, um, a core reading, sometimes we have to start with theme and story first and work yes. from there. Oh, it's, it's that, yeah. I, I love both ways. I do. Um, and I don't, I don't know about others other writers, but I always look at the, the previous two weeks to get that kind of spiral review. Yes. Cause I think that's important too. I mean, having, um, a dyslexic at home, they, uh, dyslexics particularly forget easily, but you know, you kind of need to reinforce that ongoing. So I try and always get that spiral review as right. well because it's a challenge, but it is so rewarding and a lot of fun. Right. I, yeah. it is definitely a challenge, but as you said, so rewarding. And as you talked about that spiral piece, I, that's one of the things that stood out for me in the text mm-hmm. that I read that you've written, right? As we, as I was looking through the skills that were taught and the skills that were previously taught, I don't think that's something that you often see in decodable text is ensuring that we're revisiting those patterns or those high right. frequency words. What we know is it can take several repetitions of mapping those sounds for those to actually become automatic words for us, for those to truly be mapped. And so giving them that opportunity to practice and revisit the skills they've been taught mm-hmm. is so powerful. And so when we say decodable text, because I am so passionate and I'm as you are about making sure that students have access to the resources that they need to become successful readers. And while decodability is so critical, sometimes, I feel like that title makes it a little bit tricky, (laughs) right? Because what we're saying is decodability, decodability, decodability. And really what I heard from you in our, in our last call. And as we even just talk about now is yes, decodability matters, but it's not just that decodability. So as you're putting those pieces together and as you, you know, that's where you start with looking at the phonics patterns, looking at the high frequency words, I would love to hear you talk about the importance of those other characteristics too, as you're developing that story. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, it's really important for the children to enjoy reading, um, to have interesting content for it to make sense. Um, because I mean, ultimately, you know, in early primary and elementary years, there's so much focus on decoding and learning to read, which is importantly in that foundation, but ultimately 
It's to share ideas. Mm-hmm. And if the ideas that you're sharing are nonsense, is it, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, and I think that that's uh, sometimes why decodable readers have a bad rep- reputation with some teachers is because they've just gotten some poor text that didn't make much sense. Mm-hmm. Reading decodable text can be fun. Absolutely. And, and um, you know, when you write them to scope and sequence, I love to take those limitations. It, to me, it, it inspires creativity um, and to really come up with, with stories and nonfiction texts um, that are just, that are fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I, I really enjoy the fact that you talk about enjoying reading as well. Right. And so I, Yes, when they're younger, I always say, you know, give a early kindergarten student, you know, a Bob book that cat sat on a mat. And that's really exciting for them at the moment. And so that's mm-hmm. going to be great. Like they're learning to break the code. They're super excited about that. But as they continue to grow and they understand this process now, that's not going to keep them motivated to read, right? After a while that, you know, that's that's a means to an end. And so we do really want students to enjoy reading, but Also, what we think about when we know about reading is, or if we think about the reading rope is, you know, we need to be able to read words and understand language and comprehend text. And if we just cut off that whole top of the rope to only focus on decodability, that's not really effective reading instruction either, is it? Because like as you spoke about your daughter going, well, I can't even really focus on decoding the words because I'm just trying to make sense. What are they trying to say here? (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, I, and the one thing that I, I love about the the books that I wrote for Hegarty is we have that that back page spread, where, you know, the high frequency, all of the high frequency words and target high frequency words are there, mm-hmm. and the uh, decodable words are there, and then there are story words. Yes. Um, you know, and and I think that's so important to avoid dancing around saying, you know, what you need to say so much so that it, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that's important, particularly as students grow and they're right. growing into being independent readers, right. um, to have those, you know, they have that foundation, um, for decoding. And now, you know, as they get older, they're tackling texts that, you know, um, they really need to dig into the skills of figuring out and decoding and, and applying those. So, yes, I love that you brought up story words because that is a key component, right? So right. I think, again, really, as we think about decodable text, thinking about those phases of reading and mm-hmm. when we're first starting out in that emergent phase of really making sure we have a whole lot of decodability so students understand this code. But as we start to slowly pull back and say, okay, now we can start to bring some other things in, because what we also know is as we start to apply these skills, students can self-teach a lot when we think about Scherer's self-teaching hypothesis. Um, But in order for it to make sense, story words can be part of a book, right? We're just going to, as we think about that instruction, Do you have any um, tips to share as we think about, okay, we have our high frequency words, we have our decodable words, and these story words. What what do we do with those if a student can't read those? So that spread of story words, high frequency words, and Mm -hmm. 
And I think what you're getting at is, you know, we move from word reading fluency to, you know, applying that in reading, but it also gives um, teachers the snapshot yes. of any words that are not quite decodable, but are necessary to access the topic. Right. And I think that's something as we think about our instruction too, what you might notice is some students can figure out those story words, right? Even though you maybe haven't yet taught the pattern, they somehow have access to that knowledge. Oh, um, yes. Right. That again, like that kind of self-teaching hypothesis. Now I know how to blend and I know how to segment. I know how to manipulate or, you know, some students need just a few few opportunities for um, teaching that then they've grasped that concept. But also there, there, it's okay to say, you know, we haven't learned this pattern yet. I'm going to tell you what that word is. And we're, right. and we're going to, you know, this is part of the story. It's important to the story. We haven't learned this yet. Let me tell you what this word is. And we're going to continue on because, um, you know, rather than mm -hmm. really asking students to try to guess at that word or, you know, use those habits that we talked about weren't um, as important, but definitely, acknowledging that high quality decodable texts do have a right. place for different types of words and different different instructional methods. Absolutely. And it's it's really important, one, to keep the language natural. Um, you know, we don't want to do gymnastics um, <laughs> with words to try and say something without you know, touching a, a word that's not 100% decodable. Right. Um, and, you know, you have to think about readability in terms of um, not, a, you know, appropriate vocabulary level. You do want to enrich the vo vocabulary by introducing some, some words that are one or two grade levels above, but you don't want to saturate your text with those. Also, um, you need to balance like sentence length. You want a variety of sentence length, but of course, at grade one, you don't want a, you know, a 20 word sentence because you're trying to dance around using that one decodable word. Right. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, you know, show the children, you know, this is what this is and it's important to the story. So, yeah. No, I love that example. Yeah. You don't need to do, do the gymnastics, right? You, you want to, <laughs> you want to make it make sense. And I think that's so phenomenal. And so as we think about that, I think. You know, really what stands out as I talk to you and again, as I read your work is really that it's not one or the other, right? Mm -hmm. When we're thinking about this type of text, it really does have to be both. Right. And, and, and there, yeah, it, it's, it's a balance. And, um, you know, when I write decodable readers and I sit on it for a couple of days, I try to go back and say, okay, if I wasn't writing a decodable story, would this still sound good? Would this still be a nice story? And the answer, if the answer is maybe not, then I, I rethink it. <laughs> so I, I think that's important. So how long does it typically, I know you said the, um, when you're writing for younger learners with obviously less patterns that have been taught, it takes you a little bit longer. How, how long does it typically write you, uh, take you to write a story or to, uh, to write I know passages are probably a little different than books, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Because you have to, you know, give an instruction to illustrators and things. I mean, it can, it, it, it can vary um, mm -hmm. anywhere from two hours to 20 hours. Yeah. It really depends mm -hmm. um, on, you know, the, the number of words and, 
and what uh, sound spellings are accessible and which high frequency words. So it, it, there's a wide variety of, of time periods that it I takes. can imagine because I have, I have, as I said in the, our, I think our previous calls, you know, when I've tutored students or when I've taught, I've been like, okay, you know, there's not, especially a while back, there weren't a whole lot of options for decodable text, right? So I would try to write my own story. I'm like, oh no, like I, I'm that person that's like the cat sit on a mat. I don't have anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you think about teachers and, you know, maybe they don't have access to a lot or a large variety of decodable text, do you have any tips for them as they maybe try to write something for their students to read uh, if they're just getting started and they want to try their hand at writing something that their students can use to apply the skills they've taught? Oh, sure. Um, you know, when writing, first and foremost, I mean, um, illustrations are wonderful, um, but you can have passages, uh, decodable passages without illustrations. And sometimes I think it's really important for kids to have access to both. Um, and that's important because, you know, you want to give them the experience of reading storybooks that are very much like trade books that you could find on a bookshelf. But also for those students who may be guessing, that is when you can really hone in and see if, you know, are they relying too much on illustrations and are they really putting their decoding skills to work? So first and foremost, don't worry if it doesn't have illustrations. It's okay. It, that's perfect too. Kids need access to both. Um, but, you know, words that are necessary for the topic, just pre-teach those right before the story. That's good. And otherwise, just pay attention to, you know, the sound spellings that you're trying to target and start with those target words first until you get some inspiration. Yeah. So. And I love that idea because, again, I've never thought to just say, okay, here are the words. Let me play around with it. Let me try some phrases. Let me, you know, see kind of what comes up. And then maybe that inspiration for the story comes later or the, the, yeah. the content. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. That's really fun. It's, and that, I, I really love that advice as well of, you know, giving both, the, yes, the illustrations, the storybooks, that's exciting, but also giving students the opportunity to just read a passage, take, take those, you know, visuals away. And as you said, I, I've worked, you know, with a lot of struggling or striving readers in the past. And that guessing is a habit that they all have. I often will, you know, they're trying to read a book and then you see them looking up at the ceiling and I'm like, Oh wait, are the words there? No, they're, <laughs> they're down here. Right. Right. But they're just so used to just kind of guessing what, what does it sound like? What does that language sound like? Or this might be the next word. And so the, the power of giving them a passage and really allowing them to, you know, apply those strategies. It, it is such a great way to see what they're doing with text. Yeah. Any, yeah. anything else that you would like to share about the process that you use before we end our time together? Well, I, um, I just have to say as much as I love the puzzle and the putting together the, of the language and all of that, the absolute best part of, about writing decodable readers for me is when it comes back from the illustrators. And I have to say the illustrators, um, for the books that I did for Hegarty, I mean, they're, they're phenomenal. I just, I love their work. And, and sometimes they really captured the essence that I had pictured and I had not even described it to them. So the illustrators, 
I just have to give a shout out to them because the, the they're wonderful. They're yes. yeah. And I, I really and I love that, that you called that out too, Cheryl, because sometimes that when we think about decodable text, that's often the question of, well, why do you have pictures at all? And as you said, you know, pictures really can capture the essence of the story. And when your pictures are there not to guess a word or, you know, really trying to get students to look at the picture to say the word, um, that, that really is the power of how you're, you're telling a story and pictures don't always match right. the exact, you know, words oh. that are in the sentence or in the sentence or in the text. And it just actually makes me think back to, I was reading, um, the big red hat with my niece. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and one, one of the things that I love that you did is the titles, the big red hat. And sometimes in a sentence, it says the big red hat. But sometimes it just says the hat or, you know, the red mm-hmm. hat, or it's not the same phrase every time. Right. And if- I think that's very important because if you're repeating the same phrases over and over, they're going to stop decoding. Exactly. And they're, they're moving back to guessing. Yep. So you want them to map the individual words and sound spelling patterns. So, you will hear, you know, hat is repeated throughout, but the phrasing that it comes in, um, there's variety there exactly. because in, then in order to read with accuracy, they have to decode the words. Exactly. And I mean, it, it was the perfect illustration of that importance because she mm-hmm. went to read and she read the big red hat. And I said, Oh, let's look back. I don't, I don't see that word because yeah. what he was trying to do. And, and I think she's, been used to books that have the phrase repetition and not just the word repetition, right? Um, and it really caused her to come back. And what did she do the next time we turned the page? She made sure she read each sound and then blended the mm-hmm. word because she knew she couldn't rely on that habit of just trying to memorize that phrase. And right. so, yeah. And, and another thing I want to point out, um, you know, when I'm writing and I'm writing, uh, specs for the illustrators, I, you know, you want to give the illustrations to give context and background, but they're not rebuses for guessing the word. You got it. Exactly. And, you know, the illustrations should really, you know, be lovely and capture the stories just like, you know, a trade book would when you buy those picture books. Um, I think that's important, but they're not, they shouldn't be used as rebuses because that just brings them back to guessing. Exactly. And I think that's important too. There are, you know, now that we've sat and talked about it, I I know there's so much that goes (laughs) to balancing these books. And I hadn't really spelled it out before. I just kind of do it automatically now because I've been doing it so long. There's a lot that goes into balancing. Exactly. That's why it's like, I love to pick your brain because it's, you know, you have been doing it so long. So it does become natural to where these are all of these considerations. And I think even if you're a teacher and you're not, trying to write your own decodable text. I think this is a really important conversation for how you choose your decodable Mm -hmm. text, right? So, you know, as you're looking at that text, are you ensuring that this is something engaging for students, that it matches your scope and sequence and that, yes, there's illustrations there, but it's not the illustration's purpose to teach 
the word or to allow students to look up at the, and again, I saw my niece doing that, trying to look at the pictures and they weren't helping her guess the word, right? right? That, that illustration wasn't about the word that was tricky or that story word. It really was just a picture about the story. Um, right. and I, again, it just, I've, I think these are really just great tips as we not only, again, you may be trying to write your decodable text as a teacher because we know so many teachers try to create their own resources when they don't have access. Um, but even if you're looking at decodable text and, and determining what works well, I think the process that you use and the tips that you've shared are so helpful. Right, right. And I don't, I don't know how teachers ever <laughs> get around <laughs> to writing their own materials because I just, I have a, a great amount of respect for teachers. I thought it, I wanted to be one. Um, and then I realized, you know, just it requires a whole different skill set than what I have. Um, yeah. So uh, teachers, I mean, they are just one phenomenal uh, group of people. And, they truly um, are, yes. And so yeah. I think, so I thank you for helping them because I think it's again important for teachers to just kind of hear this process and then again know what to look for. We're getting a lot of information, but we're also, like you said, there's so how how do they even write their own decodable text when <laughs> we're doing so many other things? So I really right. hope that this episode can be helpful for teachers and parents or anyone out there that's interested in making sure their students have access to high quality decodable text. Cheryl, thank you so much for being a guest with us. Now, not once, but just twice, or not <laughs> just once, but twice. Um, we so appreciate the work that you've put into creating such engaging and critical um, text for students. Um, I appreciate you, you Hegarty, giving me the opportunity. I, I um, have absolutely loved uh, working with you all. Well, we've loved working with you and we love your books. And as you heard me say, I use them. I have my niece reading them. I have my neighbors <laughs> reading them. So <laughs> well, thank you again for, for your time. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor. Thank you so much for joining us on Literacy Lunch Break today. Check out Hegarty.org to see Cheryl's decodable books. And if you were interested in purchasing, you can shop there as well. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our upcoming episodes where we explore literacy topics in a snack-sized, easily digestible format.